Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by professional MMA fighter, three times defending Australian MMA champion, and my best mate, Jack Jenkins. Jack is one of the hardest working athletes I know, and on the weekend just gone, defended his title against the number one contender in the country, and won in dominant fashion. I was there for the week with Jack, like I am for every fight week, and afterwards we just said to each other, we need to talk about this and give people insight into what the fight week and life of a professional MMA fighter is like, because there is just so much more to it than the 25 minutes people watch of the fight on a Saturday night. So here we are. Jack, thanks so much for joining me, mate. Nah, pleasure to be here. I'm pumped. Now, we're going to go deep on everything today, but let's start with your fight on the weekend where you defended your championship belt for the third time. Who was it against? Right, so I was fighting Rod Costa, who's a Brazilian guy. Um, he was the number one contender in Australia. Um, he was 5-1 and one in his last six fights, and there was, you know... Um, talk of the one fight that he did lose being a close split decision that could have gone either way. I didn't see it that way, but um, a lot of people did. Um, so he was definitely a worthy number one contender. He's a former black belt world champion at jiu-jitsu, which is you know one of the most important disciplines inside of MMA. And uh, yeah, there was a, a, a lot of the media and a lot of the... Um, a lot of the people in the know in this sport had this as, you know, my toughest test. And a lot of them even had Rod as, um, you know, as the favourite coming into this fight, which I thought was just outrageous. I'm head and shoulders above um, everyone still on the local scene, but, you know, I needed to go out there and prove that and I did that. And so how did that fight come about? Is it just a case of you're the champion in Australia and he's the number one contender, so that's the fight to make? Or is it like the UFC where there's sort of like rivalries and, and call-outs? And yeah, yeah, for sure. Rivalries, call-outs. Um, there's so much that plays at it. But the big thing was that Rod had won a few fights consecutively and his last one was against the person who I won the belt against, which was Diego. And he made his, he made his call-out there. And then he went on a a bit of a social media campaign to call me out and, uh, you know, uh, try and goad me into the fight, which I didn't really take much notice of. But by the time the fight got offered to me, it was the he was the only person in the country who wanted to step up and take the fight. So I was more than happy to oblige him. This is a funny one to me because it's just so not normal to jump on social media using your personal account, not just like a fake account and, and telling someone you want to fight them and talking shit about them. Like if someone did that in real life who wasn't a fighter, it would just be weird. And I talk to you every single day of the year and I don't think we ever mention the people who are calling you out or talking shit about you. Like I know we didn't really for this fight specifically and, and he was going really hard um, because it's just part of it and we're so used to it. But how do you process it and, and how do you deal with it personally? Uh, it's hard because it, you, it, you deal with it differently as you progress through your career, I think. I think early on if I saw anyone saying stuff like that, I would be like, yeah, fuck that guy fuck, let's go fuck him up. Um, you know, if I see him, I'm going to say shit, blah, blah, blah. Whereas once I got the belt, I realized that, oh, this isn't uh, necessarily personal towards me. People just want the belt. People want to be known as number one. And because I'm number one, they see their way to get there by, is by goading me into a fight, um, which is exactly what Rod did. Rod had no problem with me personally. He wanted the belt and he made that clear. And when he didn't get it, when he first wanted it, he took that path to try and get to it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, the, the one the, when somebody sent me, uh, somebody sent me his Instagram stuff where he was like, Jack Jenkins is a fucking coward. Um, his jujitsu is shit. He's got no knowledge. Uh, and then he, he'd 
plastered my face onto his dog while he was holding <laughs> this dog on the leash. And like before that, I was like, fuck this. But then when I saw the, uh, when I saw him put my face on his dog and he used like a photo of me with like this big cheesy grin on my face <laughs> that he'd got from somewhere. And I was like, that's fucking funny. Like you can't, you can sit there and be like, fuck this. But it was actually good banter. So I just took it from that point of view. And then I said, fuck, well, I'm going to, one thing he said, you might've seen Jack being there watching from the crowd, but, um, right when they brought us into the middle where they do the final announcement and the referees sort of talking, giving you your final instructions. I was just mouthing off at him because on his Instagram, he'd said his big thing is grappling, right? So my path to victory was striking and his path to victory was grappling. And he'd said on Instagram, I'm so much better than Jack. I won't even grapple. I won't take him down. I promise I'll just strike with him. And so when we got in the cage, I walked straight up to him in that final instruction. I said, hey, you said on Instagram you weren't going to take me down. Let's see how fucking long that lasts. And then I was just like, oh, fuck, here we go. <laughs> so this is funny because he's talked so much shit over social media for so long. What's it like when you do actually come face to face during the week? Is there animosity? Is it is it sort of like um, a vibe that if you were alone, something would happen? And, and then when you get in the cage, did you feel like he was the same person that he was over, over social media? Um, no. Nah, so to answer the first part of the question, not at all. Not at all. Like I've got none of that. I'm not a gangster. I'm not a G. Like I've got none of that. It's on site about me. Like, you know, if it if anything ever went down, I'm happy to throw them, but I'm not going to look for it. Uh, I'm more of a like, let's let's promote the fight and let's go. So I saw Rod at the weigh-in, shook his hand, said what's up. Um but then when it got in the cage, that's my time. That's my go time. It's like this, the, um, when I'm saying shit to you now, it's not hyperbole. It's not to build a, build hype or anything like that. I'm telling you, I'm going to come fuck you up. In between rounds, I was saying, Rod, your leg's fucked. I'm going to keep kicking it. I was talking to his coach. I was saying, Ben, don't send him back out here because I'm going to break his leg if you send him back out here again. So by the time it's in the fight, when I'm talking there, it's purely just to you know get an edge and just let out what I'm feeling. Here's a funny thing about you. It's, it's so interesting to me as someone who knows you as well as I do. In, in, my, in my life, you're the smartest person that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, no one I know is more educated about just about anything than you. Uh, no one I know thinks about life more deeply than you. No one I know, you know, could be more successful in more areas. And then there's this side of you that's like uh, in a cage fighting a man, you know, in, in your boxes and telling him you're going to fuck him up and you're going to break his leg and telling his coach if he sends him back out here, you're going to break his leg. It, it, how, how can you be both of those people at the same time? Yeah, that's a real good question. And I sometimes, sometimes I have to pinch myself on it a bit because the person I am in day-to-day -day life is so far removed from the person that gets into the cage. Um, you know, it, sometimes I have to sort of like, question myself on it sometimes because you know if you saw me walking around back of smash on a you know saturday afternoon or whatever when the races are on at the pub and stuff i'm just so friendly like over the top friendly almost like shut up he, he's talking to everyone he you know he wants to be everyone's mate and then by the time i get to fight week and then it gets even worse over fight week by the time i get to fight night it's like i just turn into a completely different person um which is what I've sort of built myself into over like 10 years of training. Um, and that's where I find is find my sweet spot on that, you know, performance anxiety curve is like, I like to go 
from super relaxed to really in the zone really quickly. And, that, and that's how I find that I, I perform best. But uh, as far as like how do I how do I go from that real mean person, it's just a matter of training yourself to switch it on. And I can switch it on pretty quick now. So Yeah. And and has there been points in your career where you had to force it versus it being just natural like it is now? I have to force it every time. Yeah, every time. Like I do you would know this, um, but I run late at night a lot and it's like that that late night running is kind of my form of meditation. And this is actually pretty interesting. You, I wouldn't. I don't think I've ever told you this, Jack. Or I might have even. I might have Facetimed you one night while I was running this camp. But I, as I run around, at, it's no eleven o'clock at night, and there's no one around. And I'm running, and I was just, I just kept playing over and over in my head what I was going to say when I won. It's like, what am I going to say? And I just kept saying, "Watch me! Like, I'm going to do this. Watch me! Watch me! Watch me!" And then, um. It, I played it over so many times in my head and then when I won the fight and I went out there afterwards <clears throat> and they gave me the mic, I just it just rattled off and I said, watch me. And it was just like validation for like every step I took. Every time I was out of bed at 11.30 and, you know, could have stayed at home, could have stayed in bed and I just went out there and put the road work in. It was, um, it was validation. So I was really happy. I think this is a really good segue to talk about what it takes to be a professional fighter and the training you have to do and, and the work that goes into it because I see it and it's, um, it's different to some sports. Like we do a lot of triathlon and running and, and that type of thing here, which is it's, it's more, it's sort of long hours of running, riding and, and swimming um, and that sort of thing. Whereas yours is, yours is different. Yours is intense and it's, it's like all consuming. Like it's, it's, in my opinion, it's the hardest thing to train for in the world to, to get into a cage and fight another man. And, and just then you're talking about that you're fighting at 11, uh, you're running around the streets of your town at 11, 11.30 at night. Take us into why you do that. And, and then afterwards, take me into what, what a training week looks like for you and, and what a fight camp looks like for you leading into a title fight. Yeah, for sure. I think you've hit the nail on the head there with that it's all consuming. Um, I think that once I leaned into the fact that it was all consuming for my life, that's when I've had the best results. Once I've understood that um, this is it and and as long as this is the priority of every hour of every day, you'll be able to do this at a high level. Um, so like, for example, the 11.30 runs, that's out of necessity. So I wake up in the morning in Bacchus Marsh. I drive to Collingwood. I train from 10 till 12 in Collingwood, which is grappling and MMA drills. Then I shower and I drive to Braybrook, which is on the other side of the city and train. I do my pad work with my tie coach. After I do that pad work with my tie coach, I run, I drive back to Bacchus, eat my food for the day, and then I usually have about an hour break before I have to go to the gym and work because you know I don't make enough money. Not being in the UFC yet, I don't make enough money to just live off my purses from fights. So I have to still go to the gym and coach in between. Um, then I coach at the gym from 5.30 to 8.30. By the time I get home, I have to fit in time there to get my road work in, to get my low aerobic, you know, just basic running work in. And it's the option there is, okay, do you get up at 4am and run or do you stay up a little bit later and run? And I've made the decision that I perform better and it's easier for me to keep the routine if I run late at night. So I've just ended up turning it into, you know, my ritual that I run late. And and how often do you spar during a week? So obviously a big part of fighting is fighting and it's not just about, you know, doing technical work and, and, and getting fit. You also have to fight to, to fight. How, how does that look for you? 
Uh, so I spar once a week on a Friday night, which is my hard sparring, but I'll do two or three very light sparring sessions a week within those within those training times. Um, but my sparring on a Friday night is like you treat it like a fight. So I wake up in the morning and I eat what I'm going to eat or similar to on a fight day. I try and have a nap sort of early arvo on Friday. And then when I get up and I pack my bag and I go to the gym, I try and get myself in the headspace of you're going to win every round and you're not just going to win every round, you're going to dominate every round. And every round you're going to work this or this, whatever it is that I'm working for the upcoming fight. I try and be super specific about that in those rounds. Whereas the other little bit of sparring I'll do, I'll play with things. I'll try new things. I'll have fun. But that Friday night is like, it's a business. It's, it's my equivalent of footy. You rock up. That's your game day every week. Because I only fight three times a year, my game day is that Friday night sparring every week. Mate, what's it like living a life where fighting is such a part of it? So if you, if you are sitting there listening to this and you're the average person and you got in a fight during the week, you're at you know your local Woolworths and, and you got into a fight, that would be the biggest story of your year. That would, you would tell everyone that story for three years, probably the next, probably the next decade. And, and, you know, it's like, it's a really dangerous primal thing. You do that every Friday night and then you do sort of lighter versions of that two or three times a week. That's quite crazy, isn't it? And it's not, it's like, in a way, it's sort of the most natural thing. Like we fought forever, but nowadays it's like the least it's the it's the furthest thing from that so what's that life like that's that must be like hard yeah definitely it, it's it's hard in a lot of ways um it's hard on the body it's hard mentally to stay switched on all the time um i think it's really good for me um without um without trivializing day-to-day problems that a lot of people have like i've you would know this about me as well like i'm i very very rarely get stressed and make rash decisions about anything now because the threat of someone who's trained every day for 10 years or more getting into the cage with them and they're trying to kill me and I'm trying to kill them. Mundane day-to-day problems just don't seem as scary anymore. They don't seem as not necessarily important. Things that happen day-to-day are important, but the immediacy of them doesn't stress me out or give me anxiety as it might for might have in the past. Um, so just that, being able to go to the gym and work in those like high, high pressure environments, you know, people call it, say it's like, it's like a game of chess with dire consequences, like taking avenues, making mistakes, and then trying to take your opponent's moves away from them. It's like that, but it's way more complex than chess. Um, So yeah, day to day, I think it helps me a lot, but um, it's all I've done for eight years. So it's hard to uh, put it into a, regular regular sphere of what it looks like and you're the best mma fighter in australia right now um i think over the weekend that was sort of proven to to everyone in this in australia in the sport and 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 the way mma works is you sort of fight at local levels um and then you build your way up through local levels and then eventually you go and fight in the ufc which is sort of like the AFL or the NFL or the NBA of MMA. Um, and every fighter who, who, you know, is a professional, that's their goal is to, to, is to get there. Um, and you, I mean, I, I want, I want to talk to you about, you know, have you been talking to the UFC after that fight and, and when will you, you know, have your first fight in the UFC, but you've been a professional for, for how many years now? 
Uh, I turned pro in 2016. Yeah. Okay. So you've been a professional MMA athlete for six years. Yep. Um, but then you just said that even now, six years and you're the three times champion of Australia in this sport as a professional, yep. but you still have to work every single day. Yep. Can you take me inside that? Because it's sort of like, oh, well, you're a professional athlete. Don't you make lots of money? Yep. Yeah. So I can take you deep inside that, Cal. Now, you wouldn't know a lot about this being in the upper stratosphere of society. Must be nice, but... <laughs> I've written down. I've written down my tax returns for the last few years. Um, got on the MyGov and had a look at how much money I've earned. Um, so, 2016-17 year, I earned twenty-two thousand dollars. 17-18 year, I earned twenty-four thousand dollars. The 18-19 year was a big year for me. That was when I really, you know, had a big breakthrough and that sort of thing. Um, I earned eighteen thousand five hundred and forty-seven dollars. Uh, the year of nineteen twenty. I earned 27750 and that was only because uh, we got a little bit of the JobKeeper come in. So I got on the JobKeeper payment. Where, where the JobKeeper payment for me was a fucking dream. It was like it doubled my weekly income for, uh, for a short amount of time. But, uh, you know, in reading those numbers out, it's not, like, um, it's not like there was never an option for me to make money. Like I've always, you know, I've had job offers even since I've been a pro athlete of – hey, come work for us. We can pay you this. We can do this. And it's never been about the money for me. Um, so I've been able to go, look, I'm happy to earn less money and commit myself fully to this and really try and realize my potential in it rather than go, okay, it would be nice to earn 60, 70, $80,000 a year and do this. But I know I wouldn't be able to do it to the level that I've done it now. Like, so I'm happy to take the 80 grand over five years almost. <laughs> and and now go no matter what happens from here I go at least I've I've come here and I've given it absolutely everything I've had from the start and I can look back on it and be proud and go look that that was everything I had and I'm nowhere near my ceiling yet so I'm 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 excited to see where I can keep going with it now it's crazy because I think correct me if I'm wrong but I think you would almost spend more money than you're making every single year and yet you're trying to be a professional athlete. And, and I think people think of professional athletes as needing to do all the right things. So they need to be sleeping the right amount, eating the right amount. You know, they probably need to have a, like a really comfy bed that like their life has to be good to support their training and to support their goals. <laughs> Jack, are you, are you making some sort of insinuation that I earn cash dollars that are not declared on my <laughs> tax income? Because I would just like to stop you right there and say that that is unequivocally not true. And, I would never do that. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how you survive making $18,000 in a year as a professional athlete. Yeah, well, ask any fighter. We're pretty frugal. We find out ways to, to make stuff happen. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, a lot of the time I, my car, like my car, you know, my tell car. Tell the story. Like, this is, yeah, tell the story of your car. My, well, which one? There's a few, <laughs> like, but you can tell the one how the, uh, my fight, I had a fight in December, just gone against Jason the Argonaut Petropolis. And um, my car on the Wednesday night, I was supposed to weigh in on Friday. On the Wednesday night, I was driving home from training and my car just breaks down in the middle of the freeway. And I have to pull off onto the mid median curb and it's smoking and shit. And I'm sitting there in, it was like 38 degrees that day. So it had overheated and I'm sitting there, it's 38 degrees. I must've been weighing like 70 kilos. Um, nearly at the point where I'm about to start cutting weight and I'm thinking 
I'm fucking sitting on the side of a freeway. I've got a fight in two days and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my car. And I don't have fucking insurance. I don't pay RACV. <laughs> I'm earning 18 grand a year. How the fuck can I afford that shit? So I just, I had to, I had to ring my brother and luckily my brother and my family helps me out a lot, but my, my brother, Tim was on his way home from work and he stopped at the ring road APCO, bought some coolant, fucking plugged the coolant in. And then we said, he goes, I'll follow you home, see if you get home. If not, you can just jump in with me. And we managed to get it home and take it to the mechanic and get it fixed. But I only managed to pay for the, for to get the car fixed with the money I made from the fight. So, Yeah. And then other stories like sleeping on the gym floor and that sort of thing. Take us inside that. Yeah. So, you know, coming from Bacchus, it takes me quite a while to get to the gym in Collingwood and back every day. Um, and... I was working at the gym in the city, in the CBD at absolute in the CBD. And it was just taking me too much to get home. Like I wouldn't get home until 10 30, 11 at night. So then I would have no option to get my runs in and things like that. So, uh, I just set up, um, I set up a bed in one of the offices in the gym and, uh, yeah, I was sleeping at the gym three, three or four nights a week. And, uh, yeah, I'd get up in the morning and train then drive home or stay another night or whatever I needed to do just to make sure I would get that training in. Yeah. I have a few more things I want to talk about, just some specific stuff to your career. So um, I've obviously already mentioned that you're the best MMA fighter in Australia right now, but you have had some tough times. Um, can you sort of take us through your career a little bit? Like assume we, like most people listening to this probably know nothing about your career. Yep. And so sort of take us through from the start to where you're at now, where you've, you know, you've, you've won the title three times in a row. You've had three massive title fights and won them all very convincingly. Um, and you're sort of at that, that high point in your career. Take us from the start. How have you got here? Yeah. So I started, um, I started out with my first fight really well, house on fire. I had a, um, a first round win. And then my second fight, I had another first round win. And then my third fight, I had a second round win, uh, and things were looking really good. And then, um, I had a big step up in competition. And in my third fight, I fought the number two ranked guy in the country, which is fairly unheard of, um, to move that quickly through the ranks. Um, and I was fighting a guy named Jesse Medina, who was tough. It was his 15th fight or something along those lines. Um, so there was just a vast experience gap between us. And uh, I was controlling the fight pretty well. And then I just got caught. Jesse armbarred me. Um, and that was kind of a wake up for me of like, okay, you can't just get through this just by being good. You have to have the right people around. You have to have the right plan and that sort of thing. Um, so I went away for a little bit and then I thought, no, nah, I'm good to go. I'll come back again. And then I had a late minute, uh, last minute opponent change and they ended up flying in a guy from Korea to fight me. And, uh, he beat me as well. Um, another one where I was in control of the fight right up until I wasn't. And then I sort of thought, right, I need to, I need to change something here. And you know, this is when you're getting people around, you're saying, oh, oh, well, you had a good crack, time to give it up now or like time to come back to the real world, like little comments like that. It's often from people who, you know, probably would have liked to do something different with their life and then, you know, they're happy to sort of see you, not happy to see you fail necessarily, but come back down to earth. A little bit of tall poppy syndrome a little bit. And you know me, I'm, I'm pretty confident and cocky. Like I've always said that I'm going to be in the UFC. I'm going to be one of the best in the UFC and that sort of thing. So some people get a little bit of satisfaction out of seeing you fail. So then I took a full year off where I just said, right, I'm going to fix these problems in my game. So when I come back, I'm going to be a bit more complete. I'm going to be a bit more composed and, and just get the job done. So I took that year off. And since I've come back, um, I've gone um, six and oh, six wins in a row with four Australian titles. Um, 
and in that time I've really cemented my spot as you know the number one guy and the next guy to get signed and go to the UFC so um that was through a lot of work with you you know working on my cardio that was one thing I addressed early was I said look I'd I'm fit and I'm athletic, but it's not a strength. I'm not walking around going, I can go as long as I want at whatever pace I want. Whereas now, if you watch the fight on the weekend, the commentators, Ben 10, who was commentating, he fought in the UFC, in the top 10 in the UFC, and he just said, I cannot believe that he is getting up as fresh in round five as he was in round one. And that's from doing years and years and years of work. It's not from one eight-week fight camp where I got really fit. It's from six years of trying to do that extra work running late at night getting on the air down where you don't want to to put myself in a position to be fit enough to put that pace on for five rounds and you sort of briefly mentioned about the loss and how it forced you to sort of reevaluate things and, and get better what's it like as a professional athlete who puts yourself on the line to walk into a cage and to lose in, in front of, you know, all your friends and family, you know, everyone's, you, you probably feel like everyone's watching you um, and, and you probably put a lot of pressure on yourself to win as well. So what's it like in the immediate moment when you lose? And, and then what, because the average person would just see the loss and then that's where it ends. What happens after that loss? Like, do you, what happens in the next couple of hours after a loss? Yeah, right. So um, the, my first loss to Jesse was a big one for me because like I up until that point still believed I was bulletproof. Like I still just thought like that no one. In my head, I'd never even contemplated the, the possibility of losing because it just seemed so far removed from my mentality at the point. Um, and then I remember I lost that fight and I went out the back and I was kind of carrying on a bit like I think I was busting up the air dryer in the toilets and my brother walked in and just said hey mate look you need to get yourself together and you need to go out and say thank you to everybody that came and watched and I was crying and I was upset and I said no fuck that I don't want to go out there and he said no these people came when you win and you walk out and say thank you so you go out there and say thank you when you lose and um, that was probably one of the moments I've been most grateful to have guidance in that area because um yeah, I think I was I was really happy because I went outside and as I was thanking everybody for coming, even though I'd lost, um, everyone was just saying nice things. Everyone was just saying, oh, well, mate, like get them next time or, you know, still proud of you and all that sort of stuff. And you just feel like you don't deserve it. You feel very undeserving of their praise because especially being as young as I was at that time, you build your whole identity around being the successful fighter, not an unsuccessful fighter. So when you're going out there and you're thinking, these people think I'm shit now. These people, oh fuck, they spent 60 bucks or 70 bucks to come and watch and I just got beaten. Whereas in reality, all the people that had come to watch were just happy to come and watch. And they're still proud of you and still love you no matter what. But you definitely have to deal with some feelings of feeling like you don't deserve that love. Um, but, you know, I think I've moved past that now. And now I separate who I am a little bit more from my performances. Um so I think I can enjoy my wins and when I do well a little bit more and then I'm more comfortable with worst case scenario. If I was to lose, I think I'd be able to handle it a bit better. And what motivates you to be the best in the world? So when you're training every day, is is your motivation to not feel that that, that feeling you get when you lose or is it is it that, you know, you just for some reason you just want to be the best in the world and that's what motivates you? What, what gets you up every day? What are you thinking about when training gets hard? What are you thinking about when fights get hard? Um, it's, it's like, it's a, so many different things and you, and you try and find like different motivation in different, different days for me. Um, 
like obviously one thing is just how how good it feels to win and to win against somebody who's fully prepared and done everything in their power to beat you so on the weekend for example I feel so content and happy with that win because I did exactly what my coaches prepared me to do which was use my boxing stay the range go five minutes and show up and be fit enough to go the five rounds and then so to come back after that fight you just feel very content and that is a big driver the the feeling you get after a fight that success that drives me like even though that success doesn't translate to like a monetary benefit <laughs> just yet like I made a little bit of money but it's not like I'm walking out of there Billy Strutt like Conor McGregor like fuck I've got a million in the bank now or whatever it's not that at all but just the feeling of being so well prepared and executing so well, you get such a sense of fulfillment from that, that I haven't been able to get in any other area in my life. Um, there's that. Then there's also, I don't want to lose. So like, I don't want some guy to plaster my face on a picture of his dog <laughs> and then come out and then prove him right. And I, he was better than me. Right. So th- there's that. Um, but I, you know, I've wanted to be in the UFC since I was 14. Um, I had this little single bed, <coughs> that had this kind of bookcase built into it. And I wrote on a Sharpie when I was like 14, like UFC champ underneath it. I had 2021. Written on it. <laughs> so I, I was, I was a bit ambitious. That I was, was the year you made 26 grand. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was ambitious with the timeline, but you know, I've wanted the same thing for, for a very long time now. So, uh, the mo it's just discipline now to this point. Like I don't even, like hard sessions, like you came down the other day and we did a 25 rep air dine session, which is just a, a shit session. It's brutal. You walk, your legs are jelly. You, you feel crook in the guts when you're doing it. And it's, it's just like, there's not even any thought of, oh, I'm not going to do this session or I don't want to, or I'll just do this many reps because I don't want to do the full set. I've just built it into me now that you just do what the task is in front of you. And if you just repetitively do the task that's in front of you, the body of work that you've done will be enough. Um, and you know, if the day comes soon or down the track, whether it's for a world title, whether it's in a top 10 spot in the UFC and I get beaten by someone who's better than me, I'll be okay with it. I I really believe that I'll be okay with it. If he's truly better than me, I think my two losses that I lost in the past, I don't think those people were necessarily better than me. I think they were better than me on the night and I made bad mistakes and, and did things wrong. But if I come up against someone and he's just too fit, too fast, too good, and I lose, I think I'll be all right to deal with that. Like, you know, I wouldn't be angry. I'd go, he was better than me. Um, whereas if I lost because I hadn't prepared properly or if I lost because I made silly mistakes because my head space wasn't right, then that's when I'd be upset. Yeah, and I think that is, that is how I view you a little bit as well as just a very diligent professional athlete. Um, and I sort of am- admire it about you from afar how um, – it's, I sort of never think, oh, what's Jack doing today? I'll message Jack and, and like, you know, what are you doing today? I just know what you're doing. Like mm. you're up at the same time, you're at the gym at this time, you're then at this gym at this time and then you're running at this time. And like, I just know your schedule like clock, clockwork because you never miss. It's like such a rare day that I'll message you and something's changed outside of your, your you know, day-to-day training schedule. And that's been like that for years now, for mm. years. And and it's but like, like you, but you know as well, and this is why people. Sorry to interrupt you, but a lot of people, um, a lot of people assume that there's a, you know, you you're born with it, or you have it, or you know, you're a teenager and you have it. And you would have seen that I never, I didn't have that as a like that wasn't built into me from when I was a kid. It's just I really wanted this, so I I made those adjustments bit by bit 
to get to the point now where that is who I am. And it's like, I've built myself into that over the journey. I didn't just start as that guy. Yeah. And this takes me on to another, another topic is uh, like, and I think it's a really like um, good way to show this. It's a really good example of what we're talking about is, is, and, and we've you've sort of mentioned it a couple of times is the weight cutting aspect of the sport. So um, can you talk to people about what you would walk around at day to day if you sort of just ate normally and then what, what weight you have to get to for a fight and just that whole process. And then, and then you know where we're going to get into after that. We're going to talk about sort of how you were doing that early and where it went wrong and, and now where you're at right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, the, the <laughs> when you say if you were just walking around <laughs> eating normally, you're like, okay, well, there's me normal and <laughs> you normal and then there's probably somewhere in the middle normal. Uh, go with both. So, go with both. All right, so um, me normal, I'm a uh, I'm a binge eater. I'm a... I loved, I love food. I love everything about food. Love hanging out with my friends and eating food. I love drinking with my friends, you know, um, which is, you know, it's, it's part of who I am. I really love going out for dinner with people and that sort of thing. Um, if I was to eat like, um, let's just take my friends. If you just took the average of my 10 closest friends and ate how they ate, I would walk around at 80 kilos. I probably around that 80 kilos. Um, if I took my 10 closest athlete friends and ate like them all year round, uh, I would probably walk around about 75. Okay. Um, which is when I'm in fight camp, I do walk around about that 75. Um, by the time I get to an end of a fight camp, I've trimmed down and I'm about between seven to 9% body fat. And I'm usually around 73 to 73 and a half kilos. And then over the week of a, course of a fight week I go from 73 kilos down to 66.3 which is what's the math on that seven seven point something kilos which listening to this you'll go that's insane that's impossible how does he do that and it's through a it's through water manipulation so I manipulate the amount of salt the amount of carbs in my body so that I'm not holding on to any excess water and then whatever's left over to cut on weigh-in day I sweat out through a, a few different methods. Um, the main one being I get in a bath and heat my body temperature up to a point where it starts sweating for about 20 minutes. Then I get out of the bath and wrap myself inside two sleeping bags with a sweatsuit on. And then I sit there and watch in betweeners or watch some cooking TV shows or something like that while I'm sweating. And uh, yeah, and then I get myself down to weight doing that. What's that process like? Is it hard? hard as very hard i'm very good at it now though like anything i've just disciplined myself because you know i'm we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it eventually but i missed weight once and it was um even worse than my losses it was missing weight because it represented unprofessionalism which is the thing that i never want to be associated with um so i took a fight on <clears throat> I took a fight on six weeks notice and I fight at featherweight and the only fight they had offer on offer was a guy who wanted to fight at the weight cast below me at bantamweight. And I said, I can't make bantamweight. Um, and even making featherweight at that point, I would have made featherweight, but it would have been tough. And I, I was a bit heavy. And they said, uh, well, what, why don't you meet halfway instead of fighting at featherweight or bantam meet in the middle? I said, yeah, sure. Let's do that. And, uh, I busted my ass. I really did bust my ass over the course of that next six weeks to try and get down to the weight. And by the time we got to the weight cut, I was a little heavy and I knew it was going to be really tough. But I just thought, fuck it. I'll, I'd never, 
I'd never gone, I'd never done a weight cut where I hadn't made it, you know, relatively easily before. So I'm like, all right, fuck it. We'll get there anyway. So I start cutting weight, start cutting weight. And, uh, I get down to about 64.5 kilos. I think it's from your memory. Is that right? Yep. Jack was there. So, um, I get down to 64.5 and I had to get to 63 kilos. So I'm 1.5 kilos off and things start to go wrong there where I just, I get into a bath to heat my body temperature up. <clears throat> do my 20 minutes, get out, do my time in the sleeping bags and the wraps. And usually I would lose about a kilo at that point from doing that. And I think I lost a hundred grams. So 10% of what I usually lose. And then you go, all right, well, we'll try again. We just need to get the bath hotter. So <laughs> we're sitting there. And I think by the, by this stage, everyone else in the room had already gone, this isn't happening. Like Jack's not going to make it. And, um, but I was still, in disbelief, I, I just thought, no, I'm going to make this. I'm not going to miss this weight. So we made the bath hotter and I get in the bath and uh, sit in there for the 20 minutes and I get up and there's just a big red line across my shoulder mark from where my body had been submerged in the water where my body temperature was so high. And then I got on the scales after we'd done the wraps again and I'd lost no weight. So my body had just given up. It wasn't sweating anymore. It wasn't letting me lose any more weight. And, uh, then I said, fuck it, I'll go again, I'll go again. And this time I got myself back in the bath and everyone else sort of left the room and they were having the conversation going, this isn't safe anymore. He's not going to make the weight, we're calling it. And they came back in and everyone told me, mate, you're not going to make the weight, we're pulling you. you you're going to hurt yourself if you keep doing this. So uh, I was sitting in a hot bath, bawling my eyes out, just started crying immediately because I knew I was going to miss weight. And at that point, you also think one of my big things as a fighter is that I sell a lot of tickets. A lot of people come and watch. And then you just start thinking, fuck, I've sold 200 tickets to this fight. There's 200 people coming to watch me specifically. And now the fight's not going to happen because I didn't make weight because I didn't do the right things. Um, and uh, yeah, that was one of the, the hardest days I've ever had. And even for you, that would have been hard for you to sit there and watch me and my brother Ben and the other people in the room, that would have been hard for them to watch me go through that because it's a brutal, brutal process on your body. And for me to push it that far and want to just keep going and, uh, you know, put myself at risk like that would have been hard to watch. Um, but since then, I, I've really taken my professionalism to another level and I just, I'm, I'm just never at risk of missing anymore. Yeah, I think from my point, my, like my perspective, so I, I don't know what I would describe my role as with you, but, you know, I think probably best friend is, is what I would describe it as during fight week. So for every one of your fights ever, um, I'm with you sort of all week. So like the fights on a Saturday, I'll be at Jack's house on a Wednesday and I really don't leave your side until the Sunday morning. So we're sort of just like take this weekend, for example, like, uh, me and Jack stayed in the same room in a hotel room Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You know, a couple of those nights we were sleeping probably a bit too close to each other. <laughs> or lack of sleep. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll come back to that. That's a good story. Um, but for this one specifically, it was where, where you missed weight. It was, um, yeah, it was really tough. It was really tough to be there because, you know, me, you and your brother Ben are best mates um, and me and Ben are always at your fights together um, and we're always with you every step of the way, you know, in the days leading up. And and I guess for pretty much all your, your career, we've been running your weight cut. So we help you with that. You know, we, we run the bath for you. We, we sit next to you and watch in between us while you're in the bath. We prepare everything, you know, the, the mattress and the sleeping bags for you to hop into. We sit next to you. We 
you know, like little things. We rub ice on your, your forehead. We, we wipe the sweat off your forehead with a towel while you're laying there cutting weight. And, and so you sort of get really invested in the process, mainly because we love you. Like, you know, it's, um, we, we sort of, it's us there. Like we're not doing the hard work, but we, you know, we feel like it's, it, we feel as invested probably as, as you do in that moment. And, and so, yeah, that, that time when you didn't make weight and you're sort of laying there in the bath crying, the first time I'd ever seen you cry in, in, in our friendship, um, it was really hard. And, 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 and just cause I could tell what it meant to you. And, and so I hated seeing you upset but like that. Um, <laughs> but then, and it's this weird thing where it's such a tense time and me and Ben are in the other room and, and there's a few other people there for this weight cut and, and Ben just sort of looked at me and said, what are we doing? I said, we're calling it, this is done. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think maybe in this, in these type of situations, it's sort of like me and Ben who make the decisions on things. And I said, nah, it's done. Like cold shower, get him in it right now. He put a bit more water into him. I want, I want almost a, you know, a liter of water into him. If we can, this, we need to, we need to stop this. And, and then in the other room, I can hear you crying in the bath while we're having this conversation. It's a really raw and, and tough moment. And so I think one of our funniest stories ever is how we get out of this moment. Uh, so we, we go to the weigh-ins and, and the promoter, so the person who runs the fight card is there and, and Jack's opponent makes weight, Jack misses weight. And usually what happens in that situation is the opponent has the choice whether they take the fight or not. And Jack's just begging, the, begging everyone around him, just I'll do whatever it takes. He can have all of my money. He can take my entire purse. I just need this fight. And there was a lot of negotiation back and forth with the team. And Jack's sitting there completely dehydrated, like a bit of a broken man in this room while these negotiations happening. It turns out the opponent does take take the fight. He also takes most of Jack's money that he's making. For all the of fight. it. He took all of he it. He took all my money, yeah. So Jack's now doing this fight for free. He's gone through this really tough time. And and the mood is not good in the <laughs> not situation. <good> and <laughs> there's like, it's it's for me as a best friend, it was really hard because mine and Jack's friendship's built on fun and, and you know, loving each other's company. But what, there's this moment, I'm just sitting there thinking, what, like, how the fuck do we get out of this? And I'll leave it to you to tell the story of probably what broke the ice when we get back to the hotel. Uh, oh yeah, the um, the Lincoln Park song. <laughs> it was it was about that time when uh, Lincoln Park had released that song. Why is uh, it's called Heavy? It's isn't called it? Heavy, yeah. And that song had come on, and it's like, well, fuck, this is relatable. <laughs> Everything's just a bit heavy, isn't it? Me and Jack and and Ritz, another one of our mates, were standing in the hotel room. And like we still probably things still hadn't quite come good from a mood p- point of view, and then on the UE burn, I can't remember whether it was me or Ritz or Jack put on a song, and it, and the next song came on, and it was just that lyric of Lincoln Park, "I'm holding on." Why is everything so heavy? And it was just like we just all looked at each other and we're like, is "This song having a dig at me <laughs> yeah, or what?" Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, everything was just fine, and that, and then it ended up being a really fun night, and and you went on to to win that fight. And yeah. yeah, but out of all, like it was um, when I even winning that fight, the only thing I had was relief. Then there was no joy in that at all. Yeah, like it was ever, it was an unfulfilling win. Um, but then since then, I've gone on to make fight weight easy for every fight like nobody would know this. this is actually the first time i've told this story but um this fight camp this is my most important fight the one i just had by far my most important fight because we know the ufc eyes are on me they've told me so much um you know my management advice has been 
you win this fight, you're going to get a shot. Um, Alex Volkanovsky, the champion of the UFC, has sort of said this is a really good fight for you. I think if you perform in this fight, you're going to get your shot, that sort of thing. So this was undoubtedly my most important um, fight. And about four weeks out from the fight, I start getting a big pain under my armpit. And I'm like, fuck, this isn't good. So I, I train for a couple of days and then it gets to the third day and it's just unbearable. And I sort of reach up and I start feeling under there and it's like a fully almost a golf ball size lump under my arm and uh anyway i get it checked out and it's a, it's an infected abscess so four weeks out from the most important fight in my career i have to go and get you know a minor surgery and get this um get this thing scalpeled open get it drained out and um and then dressed up again and it actually didn't go super well the it, it didn't drain. It was sort of under a few more layers of muscle than um, we were able to cut through and drain anything from. And it got solid. And where I, I had to take antibiotics, which is never good to have to take antibiotics during a fight camp. It can mess up your guts a little bit. Um, and the only thing I had to do, and for someone who's so diligent and disciplined with their training, the only advice I spoke to you, spoke to doctor, that sort of thing. And the only thing I got told to do was you just have to stop. You can't do anything. Don't run. It's not going to help. You were messaging me every day saying, hey, mate, just checking in, making sure you're not training, making sure you're not running. And there was times I was sitting there, like my runners were just looking at me or my gloves were just looking at me. And I was like, I should just do a few rounds. I should just do some. I can't just do nothing. And so I had to take a full week off in the middle of the most important fight camp of my life. Um, and I just had to trust that the years of work that I've done were going to carry me over. And even going into this fight, you would know this, when we ended up starting my weight cut, I was a little heavy and it was never stressful because we know how easily I'm going to make that weight. But it was just a lesson that even when four weeks out, I lost a whole week of training. I'm still professional enough that I can still get the job done now, even after losing that week of training. So um, nobody would know that, but no, it'd be very rare for most people to have a minor surgery four weeks out from the biggest fight of their life and then still go through and be able to make weight comfortably. Yeah. And something I found really interesting from the weekend is, is, um, uh, sort of probably the first real conversation I had with you after the fight. So you, you win the fight, you come out and, you know, you give me a hug and then you go back backstage and, and get your medicals done and, and you walk out and you sort of go to the crowd and give a few people a hug and say, thank you. And, and then me and you were walking to, to get an Uber and you just turned to me and said, I was too heavy for that fight. You were already starting to think about what's next and like what you can improve on next. You weren't, you weren't, I don't even know if you'd really said anything positive about the win at that stage. You just sort of were straight on to what can I get better at? Mm. And, and do you think that was a sort of, is, is that, is that a mindset you have? Do you take time to soak up the win or is it straight away to, okay, now I've been told I'm going to get a UFC shot. What next? What's, what's my plan going forward? Yeah. Well, it comes back to what we said earlier in the podcast was that it's all consuming. So like the, the happiness I have from that win is just, it's exuberating like every part of my life, right? Like if driving here from the gym, I was at the gym this morning back training and I was driving here to do this podcast and I'm just happy happy that I won I feel content I'm very happy about it but when I went out I do try and smell the roses and be like this is awesome like have a look at this stadium I'm in I'm, I just fought in this stadium on the Gold Coast in front of thousands of people 
watching with other people watching on UFC Fight Pass and I just had that kind of performance. Like take a step back and enjoy that. But because it's so such an intense feeling, I can still feel really happy. And then when you and I walk out the front go, hey, mate, I was a bit heavy for that. We need to fix that next time. I want to try and do this, this and this. What do you think? And you say, yep, yep, let's let's fix that and do that. But that's just that's just an element of being a, a bit of a perfectionist and being super competitive that you want to have every advantage you can. And while it's fresh, you want to say it like, hey, I think it w- this would be better next time. Let's make sure we don't make that mistake again or whatever. But, you know, even I explained to you all the circumstances of it in terms of missing that week of training and getting the call a little bit late, so being a bit heavy early on and that sort of stuff. Even with all that stuff, you just have to take your shots. You can't you can't pull back and wait for the perfect time. You know, everybody's always, oh, even people say to me, I'd love to come to the gym and train. Like, I'd love to have a go. And it's like, well, just do it. There's no – if you're waiting to try and get fit or you're waiting for summer to be over or you, you can't because the footy's on or your daughter's got this on or whatever, you're just going to wait forever. And that was the story of this fight was like, just don't wait. Don't – just take the opportunity and get as best pr- prepared as you can given the, the parameters you're being given and just fucking go. Don't wait. Yeah, great message too because that's in everyone's life. The, yeah. the I'm, I'm waiting for the perfect time to do the perfect thing and it doesn't exist. No. That's the secret and the people who, who go and make things happen know that and so they just do it. And I said we'll come back to it and it's sort of that this is leading me on to it. Let's do, let's go a little, just a little bit more in detail about the week. Take us through it. So um, we catch up on the Wednesday to fly out to the Gold Coast. Take us through the hotels, the, you know, like the <laughs> dynamics of the, of the fight week, the, the yeah. change of hotels. That Just take us through. So so we went to um, the – we went to – the Gold Coast on the Wednesday. We got there, everything was feeling good. We went and had a workout. I felt really, really sharp during the workout that you sort of start to feel a little lethargic towards the end of the week because you're not eating much and you're a bit dehydrated already and that sort of stuff. But I did this workout and I felt awesome. Then we went back to the hotel, had a bit of dinner. It was good. Um, and then uh, when I went to go to bed, I just did not sleep. Like I didn't sleep more than like sort of 45 minutes, which as you can imagine, if you're an athlete and you're three days out from a big event and you're not sleeping, something's gone wrong. And then I thought, oh, it was just a one-off. So then the next day we get up, the day's good there. And on that Thursday, we like to do a little sauna the night before, just so I can get a little bit of food and water in before I go to bed the night before the weigh-in. So we went and did our little sauna and that was good. And we came back and I ate a bit of food, drank a bit and I got into bed and just wasn't sleeping there was just I just hadn't I I couldn't sleep there was nothing I could do to get myself to sleep I was I do all the things I'm a man of routine so I usually read a little bit before bed I don't read any self-help things or David Goggins or anything like that I read bullshit fiction novels right like whatever whatever I can get my hands on Lord of the Rings Harry Potter all that sort of stuff and uh, I tried reading this one I was reading at the moment and just wide awake and then uh, <laughs> I remember at one point uh, it was it got it got to about three thirty in the morning, and I'd just given up on sleep at that point, and thought, right, well, what can I do while I wait around to start cutting this weight? And <laughs> I was kind of like sitting there with my eyes closed, and I just ripped a massive fart. And you were in the you were in the bed next to me, and you just woke up and gone, that just woke me up. <laughs> You've just woken me up with this fucking fart, and I've gone, oh shit. <laughs> that was the loudest fart I've ever heard in my it life. Was, I literally had a dream. I was dreaming and then someone farted in my dream and it like woke me up and I turned to you. I said, did you just fart? 
And it was a real fart that I'd heard in my dream. That's how loud it was. <laughs> and it was so loud. <laughs> and at this point, at this point, it's fucking 4 a.m. And I go, mate, do you just want to go for a walk? You go, yeah. So we get up and it's 4 a.m. and we're walking on the we're walking down the beach. And um, we just I said, I ended up saying to Jack, um, well, Jack actually said to me, you can't afford not to sleep the night before you fight. Like, let's forget about the last two nights and whatever's happened there. But these beds were just no good. Like, they, I just wasn't sleeping. And Jack said, fuck it, mate. We'll book a room at the, um, we'll book a room at a, a nice hotel where my family actually happened to be staying. And we'll go there. So we ended up finding a way to book a room. And once we got there, we ended up going back to the hotel where we were at and um, we cut the weight and we made the weight easily, but a little bit not as professionally as we have in the past, which is, you know, you're always looking to improve. So I usually get on weight in two bars really quickly. And in terms of energy levels and stuff, I'm usually at the end of a weight cut. I remember the last three, I've been dancing in the room, shadow boxing on the balcony, laughing, messing around. And this one, I was at that point about, and I still had about 800 grams, 900 grams to go. Um, but then when I got that last 800, 900 off, I started to feel a little, this wasn't ideal, you know? So that was when it hit me, right. You got to be a little lighter next time you made the mistake, missed the week of training. That's right. But you got to be a little bit lighter. Um, so yeah, then after we make weight, we go back, rehydrate and we move, end up moving to this other room. And uh, the place we went and stayed was so nice. And it just, everything, um, everything from that point on just went really, really well. Um, I, my partner is um, in university and she was working and I didn't think she was going to be able to come and watch the fight. And uh, she surprised me and came into the hotel room and she had flown up um, with one of her friends to watch. So that was really nice. And then I had a good breakfast with my family and I felt good. And then my long-term coach flew up from um, Adelaide because he's on a family holiday in Adelaide. So he's left his family holiday to come and corner me for the fight. And uh, everything from that point just went literally perfectly. Like the, the way I found myself into like the performance mindset like just all right zone in time to go now it was like flawless like it was literally two breaths all right i'm on now i started my brother came out and was um helping me warm up so we sort of did some light sparring to warm up and everything i threw was just like pinpoint accuracy uh i was hitting his liver and i remember him looking at me at one point going fuck just stop throwing that that's just <laughs> he would never actually i needed him there to warm up so he would never say it but i was just landing everything i threw and i remember he i sort of walked out and he he went to my striking coach andy and he said fuck if he lands one of those like those shots he's just going to be on all night and uh yeah then my walkout song it all happened so quick all of a sudden you're at, you're at the venue and you still have five hours before you fight and then you blink and you're standing in the hallway and your song comes on and you have to start walking out and uh i was just on from that point What's that feeling like when you're standing there in the tunnel about to walk out and your walkout song comes on? Fuck, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, there's nothing like it. Like you've chosen that song and that's my chance to like, I do honestly consider myself a little bit of an entertainer as well as being a fighter. Um, I don't think people say, oh no, I'm just a fighter, man. Like I just fight. And then there's other people who go further the other way, which they're more of an entertainer. I try and find, like, I think I'm a good balance between the two, but... Walking out, if there was no crowd, I, I wouldn't have a walkout song. 
I'd just be in my zone and I'd walk, right? But when the crowd's there, I like, like, it's good to get on, like, get a bit of energy from them and give a bit of your energy to them. So I kind of pick my walkout song based on that. And um, that's why this song, I walked out to the um, the final rap battle from 8 Mile because it was kind of, I felt, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder in the sense that I felt like there was some like media personalities and commentators and stuff who were kind of, they were talking this fight like it was, like it was a tough fight for me and that, um, you know, Rod was probably coming in as the favorite, you know, and I was the champ and I, I not just that, but I was like a dominant champion. So I kind of, that's why I chose that song. Cause I'm like, fuck this. I do have a chip on my shoulder. I am coming out here to fucking prove a point that you're all stupid. If you think that I'm not the best in the country. And then because that was my vibe and I went out and did that, it, it was a really fitting song. I thought. Yeah, and for the record, we are going to put on the uh, How They Train Instagram page a highlights package of the fight that Jack's just been in. So you'll actually be able to, you know, um, rather than just like picturing in your head, you, if you didn't watch it, you will be able to just um, watch the highlights of it and, and see all of this, including the walkout song and, and all of that there. Um, something you did mention was, and I just want to tell this story because it's personal between me and you, and it's like a, it's, it was actually a pretty funny story in terms of our friendship is, is, your, is your girlfriend coming up to see you on the weekend? Can you tell that how that played out from your perspective? Yeah, 100%. So uh, I've, I've obviously cut weight and I hadn't slept. I'd probably slept an hour in the two nights before this. <laughs> so I get back and I feel you haven't had a full I, – I, to put it in perspective for everyone listening, I haven't had a full belly. Like I haven't to go, gone to bed on a full belly in probably six or seven weeks. Um, but I've gone – not only that, I've gone to bed genuinely hungry – for three weeks, right? And then the week of the fight on pretty much an empty stomach. Um, so then I've fully rehydrated and had a heap of food. So my body's just ready to go to bed. It says, right, you're good to go here. So I lie down in this comfy as Royal Pines double bed. And you, my friend, who is probably the most professional person I've ever met and would never, ever discourage me from getting more sleep. You're sitting there going to me, man, I've just got heaps of energy. Do you just want to stay up and have a chat with me? <laughs> and I go, I literally looked at you. I said, fuck off, mate. Like, I don't want to have a chat. Go to bed. And you're like, mate, what about not a serious chat? Let's just have a goofy chat. Let's just talk about something funny. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, what the fuck do you want? And then you go, oh, mate, you didn't brush your teeth, did you? Can you get up? Come on. You got to brush your teeth, mate. And I'm going... I go, no, I'm not brushing my teeth. Like, fuck, I'm just going to bed. And then he's like, well, how often do you not brush your teeth? Like, is that a common thing? Because you probably need to brush your teeth. I'm like, mate, I brush my teeth every night. I'm just fucking wrecked. Leave me alone. And you ended up going, oh, well, all right. All right, go to bed then. And oh, I'm going, mate. And then you ended up leaving the room and you gave the key uh, to Brit. And Brit came in and surprised me. And I thought, oh, this makes sense now that you, you were just trying to keep me awake as long as so she could get there off her flight. And uh, yeah, that was real special for me. It was a really good moment. But uh, yeah, that would have been hard for you because it would have gone against every bone in your body to try and keep me awake. Yeah, it, from my perspective, it was. Um, so I knew Brit was coming up to surprise you um, for the fight. And, and we were sort of talking throughout the day and I was like trying to hide these texts from you and stuff. And I was messaging her and her best friend who were coming up trying to organize like what time they were going to come and whether we do it, you know, after the fight or the night before, and we'll just hang it up. And, and in the end I made the call, like, no, come and see him the night before the fight when he's sort of laying in bed and, and being a cuddly boy and just, you know, talk for 15 minutes and, and sort of make his night so that he'll sleep better and, 
and getting the fight. And anyway, they had all these troubles trying to get into their Airbnb and it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And, and I'm trying to like make our dinner go longer. I'm trying to like, we were with a friend and I'm like, mate, like until I give you the all clear, let's just keep talking to him about pointless stuff. Even if he's like, oh, we want to go home and stuff. Or like, oh, Mitch, So Mitch was in on it too. We were all in oh, on I it. I didn't even I know got that. Everyone in on it. And I was trying to be like, yeah. And if, and if like worse comes to worse, just like pretend to go to the toilet and stay in the toilet for 10 minutes and stuff. And he did that. <laughs> we were just... <laughs> We're just like <laughs> trying to make it happen. Oh, shit. And so the backstory from this is that the the hotel room where me and Jack aren't getting, well, even before this, so Jack's a stressful flyer. And so we fly up on, like Jack's on an empty belly. He's dehydrated. We're on the flight up. Jack's really stressed throughout the fight, you know, throughout flight. the flight. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm terrified of flying on planes, not <laughs> not fighting, flights. <laughs> I don't like planes. The irony that you're more scared in a commercial aircraft than you are walking into a cage to have a, like a bare knuckle fight with someone basically is pretty crazy. Um, but anyway, so he's stressed from that and then he's doing the weight cut. And we're in this tiny little shitty hotel room that me and Jack are literally sleeping less than a meter away from each other. At, well, Jack's not sleeping for two nights in a row. And and then we go to this really cozy, comfy bed at the Royal Pines. And I just see Jack laying it so like comfy and happy and like content. And so I'm just having this like dilemma in my head. Do I keep my best friend awake the night before the biggest fight in his life just so he can see his girlfriend or do I just, or do I just let him sleep? And it was just like... One of those terrible <laughs> I just, dilemma. I just didn't know what to do. Terrible place to be. And I just, I like, I even said to him, I'm like, mate, like, come on, I'm, you know how close I am with your mum. She would be so disappointed in me if I didn't make you clean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking this can fuck off. I'm going to belt him. Which is just something I would never say. And I'm just like saying all this stuff I'd never say. And I would, you're right. We're so close friends that we just get each other that like we can be sleeping a meter next to each other in this shitty hotel room and you're not sleeping and we just know the right things to say to each other mm. and the right way to act and so everything's really seamless and smooth and then out of nowhere i'm just doing this this stuff that you're like this is not the person i know like, it, yeah he's literally like hindering my performance here he, this is not him and so yeah that was that was tough but in the end it was it was probably worth it it's a funny little side note story for the fight definitely it was nice for Britt to get there because a lot she sees um like often it's 9 45 or 10 o'clock and she's in bed and i walk into the room take my work clothes off put my runners on walk out and then i'm back like an hour later so it was nice for her to be there and see the result yeah. So I, I guess, but the last thing I really want to talk about is, is the what's next. Mm. Um, I know that after the fight, me and you sort of got together and well, the, the, this is a funny thing about a fight is there's like these lots of these little moments. Um, and so after the fight, like you won the fight in like dominant fashion. It was, it was an absolute clinic. It was probably the best MMA performance I've seen by an Australian on Australian soil ever yeah. in the history of MMA. Well, one of my mate, one of my mates, Ben Sassoli, who is in the UFC, that you know, he was talking in relation to a group of our friends who are also very, very good fighters and other people who are in the UFC, like Jimmy Crute, blah blah blah, um, guys like that. And um, Ben, when Ben messaged me, he said that was the best performance any of us have ever put on in the cage ever. And that, that he was talking about all of us, UFC down to the bottom. Um, so that was a really big compliment from him. Um, and if if I needed a good performance to be that straw that broke the camel's back to get me into the UFC, I thought I think that was it. Yeah. And so like you have that performance and then you have like lots of these little moments. You come and hug your friends and family. You know, you, you do the post-fight post interview 
And and one that sort of stuck out to me was me and you got got an Uber back to the hotel room and and we were in a hotel we were in a an elevator with your family and, and me and you. And I don't know, there was probably six of us in the elevator and they were staying on the twelfth floor and we were on the nineteenth. So it got to the twelfth floor and they all hopped out and, and then the elevator doors closed and it was just you and me. And we sort of just looked at each other and smiled and have had like a little moment and then we walked into the hotel room and and then sort of was like just pretty quiet, like we're just doing our thing and you sort of just turned to me and and just started going you just sort of right then and there decided let's make a plan mm. and, and we sort of just had like this moment where we're just like okay what's next and how and and that sort of thing so can you take us inside that and, and how you do plan to to sort of go progress moving forward yeah well like if you want like the, my big thing when i cut that little sound bite at the end of the fight my my big thing that, that i said was because there are some of those media personalities who had before the fight before i was talking with rod said things along the lines of you know yeah, Jack might get to the UFC, you know, he might get there, but I don't think he'll go far when he does get there. And that's never, ever been my intention. It's never, ever been good enough for me to just get to the UFC. I want to be one of the best in the UFC and fight for a world title one day. So when we won that fight and we went back to the room, there was a few things we knew immediately. Like we knew my knuckles were going to be swollen because I landed so many strikes. We knew my feet were going to be swollen. So I turned to you and I said, hey, mate, let's make a plan where we keep my weight down and we stay fit for the next sort of brief period of time before we hear from one way or the other the UFC, whether I'm on. Um, and what's going through my mind there is this isn't it. This is step one. Like this is the beginning. And, you know, we might be able to come back and do a podcast in a few years after I've had a successful UFC career. But for me right now, if, if anyone thinks that I'm, happy or content with just getting to the UFC even though I'm not even there yet I haven't even got the tick I haven't signed my name on the dotted line I'm absolutely not all right with that um so that conversation I had with you that was just vocalizing it and and you know speaking it that I want to be on top of it from right now not from in three weeks or four weeks when I do get the call it's I want to be on top of it right now um and I find that Often when I speak something and I, and I say it, you know, Conor McGregor talks about it, which, you know, you can have your opinions on Conor McGregor, but he's, in my opinion, the most influential athlete on the planet. And in our sport, you know, the best of one of the best to ever do it. He says, if you, if you have the courage to speak something, then, you know, you can make it happen. And that's what I try and do. So I turned to you and said, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? And you said, yep, let's make a plan. Come in, we'll do this. And then on Wednesday, we'll start. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good note to end on. And, and I, I think probably my takeaway from this chat with you is, is, is goes back to what we were saying is that there's never really a perfect situation or a perfect time. And, and if you're willing to dedicate yourself and put in work to achieve something, it, nothing else really matters. Like you hear that story about that week you've had. So this is a guy who's going into a title fight, the biggest fight in his life, and he's not eating food and he's dehydrated and he slept less than an hour for, you know, a 60 hour patch. And despite all of that, you go out there and put on the best performance of your life. So there's never a right time or a perfect situation is there, but it doesn't mean that you can't achieve what you want to achieve. And I think that's been like something that's really shot like shone through in this in this conversation and is actually like super inspiring and motivating so yeah awesome well yeah. thank you for having me i'm glad uh i'm glad i got to come on and i know you've had jimmy on um 
Jimmy on and you've had other athletes on at various stages of their careers but you know Jimmy's a bit further down the track than me where he was already in the UFC and that sort of thing and you know a little bit more secure in it whereas I'm at the I'm a little bit more greener in the raw stages of my career so I was I hope I could give everyone a bit of an insight into what it's like before you actually get there and before you can you know hang your hat on anything you've done yeah I think that's true because every single person I've had on this podcast so far in 27 episodes has either been a world champion or is in the middle of a like super successful professional career or is making you know, like probably the person. Oh, well, Richo never won a grand final and he came on. <laughs> yeah, but he probably made 800000 a year <laughs> yeah. for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> and you made $18,000 two years ago and yeah, haven't yeah. improved much. Yeah. So, yeah, you are the, by all metrics, the least successful athlete that we've had on this show so far. But, you know, you work as hard as any of them and you grind day in, day out to make your dream a reality. And I think you're right. It is interesting for people to see that, that – that like this is what's happening to get you to the, the stage you will be in probably three years where you're a household name in Australia making multi-million dollars a year and and it doesn't just happen overnight. This has been 10, 15 years of struggle and you, you heard, Jack, which is pretty brave and thanks for doing this. Like real, you just told everyone you, what you made in a, in, a, in a financial year, six years in a row. Mm. And it's not an amount that's enough to live for any Australian. It's sort of like below the Australian poverty line. Mm. Like so, that is super fascinating. I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing it, and um, and yeah, appreciate you and, and love you. So thanks, thanks for jumping on, mate. Nah, thank you. My pleasure.